Let us turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, let's start with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which we have, which with, excuse me, with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so uh, you know those mornings when you wake up and you have a, um, a heavy breakfast? You wake up and you have, you have your favorite eggs, you have pancakes, uh, you, you, have all, you have bacon, you have all this, this food before you, right? And it's just a really hearty, hearty meal. All right, that's what we're feasting on spiritually this morning. Amen? This is a hearty, hearty meal spiritually, and uh, it will do us good to, to eat all of it up, right? So that we can uh, have, have the, uh, the energy and uh, the encouragement we need to continue in our walk with Christ. Uh, this is a wonderful passage, and uh, this, this whole chapter is very important to setting up the book of Ephesians. Um, if you're not aware yet, we are in a new book. We are going to walk through Ephesians uh, now that we are finished with John. And the reason why we picked Ephesians is because it speaks exactly, I mean, it, it speaks intimately, rather, to the church. And uh, it describes not only the mysteries of the church, but how we as a church are to function, to live, and, and, and how we as a church are to think, and, and what kind of theology and doctrines that we are to accept. It's very important for us all together to go through this book and to study it and, and, and hear God speak to us through uh, what Paul has written here. So uh, this, is, this is extremely important for our faith and our encouragement. And I love the way Paul begins the whole book. He, he bases everything on a solid foundation, and that foundation is God. Because in, here in chapter 1, basically verses 1 through 14, um, he, Paul talks about the, the, the Godhead. He talks about the three uh, persons of the Godhead. First of all, today we're going to be talking about the Father, and then um, Jesus talks about the Son, or excuse me, Paul talks about Jesus, the Son, and then Paul talks about the Holy Spirit. And how it's broken down is he talks about how we are elected by the Father, verses 3 through 6, redeemed by the Son, verses 7 through 10, and how we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, verses 11 through 14. Well, we read verses 1 through 6 today, so our focus is going to be on the doctrine of election. We're going to talk about that today, and for the next three Sundays, including today, this is what we're going to be discussing. This is how Paul starts off explaining the mysteries of the church. Why are they mysteries? Well, because uh, the world doesn't get them, right? Because the church is not like the world. Well, we're not an organization, so to speak. We're not a business. Um, we're not even a family in worldly terms. We are a spiritual family, right? We are a spiritual building. We are these things that the Bible describes us that, you know, as, as we are. 
but we are different from the world. And so to the world, these things are mysteries. And even to us, since not everything has been explained or not since we don't see everything clearly, some things are a mystery to us as well, because there's only so far that we can go in our minds, even as we learn scripture. These are things that we will get to spend God, with God in eternity and, and to continue to learn these wonderful mysteries of, of him and his church. But these are mysteries here that, that Paul explains to us, and they are foundational to our faith, especially when we talk about being elected by the Father. That doctrine is extremely important for our theology, the way we think about God, and ultimately the way we worship God. You see, a lot of people think that doctrine and theology and all that stuff, that it's not important. It's extremely important. Some will say, I don't need doctrine. I don't need theology. I just have a relationship. I will say you cannot have a healthy relationship with God if you don't have doctrine and theology. God gave us a brain to think. He gave us a heart to feel. Sure. And to have emotion and to love, but he gave us a brain to think as well. And we have to combine the two in order to worship God as he is to be worshiped. So just as it is, you know, just as far as importance goes, just as important as it is for us to, to, to love God from our emotions, it's important for us to know God through um, our, our brain and what we think and our intellect. Both are extremely important. So here, when we talk about the doctrine of election, if you've ever wondered how you were saved, and, and I know you have to be, you have to wonder that, you're in the same boat that I am. I've wondered that before in the past. How, how was I saved? And more importantly, why? Why? Why me? Right? That's, that's a question I think a lot of us have. Not only how, but why me? Why would God extend grace to me? Well, if you've ever wondered, wondered those questions or had those questions in your head, it would do well for you to listen to my words this morning as I preach here in verses 3 through 6. Uh, let me start off first by painting a picture for you of a wonderful and beautiful church. And like all churches, I'm not, I don't want us to you know, elevate this church above any other, but it was a healthy church. We find out later in, in the book of Revelation, though, that they had some issues and, and uh, Jesus had a message for them and they had to make some corrections. So they weren't a church that did, never had any issues. But here in this time when Paul is writing to them, they are well respected by Paul and the apostles and uh, they're highly praised by Paul. Uh, Paul writes them and doesn't have any major issues to address when he is writing to them. And I bet for Paul, that was a, that was a wonderful relief. Uh, there are only, a, you know, very, there are a few letters where, where Paul doesn't have to address any major, major issues. When he wrote to the Romans, there was no major issues within uh, that church that he had to address in the book of Romans. So the book of Ephesians and the book of Romans are, are so wonderful because Paul just spends his time uh, speaking about theology and doctrine and encouragement. And uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. So that's how we know that this church was a, um, a strong church. And it was, uh, um, it, it was a church that was doing really well. It, was, it had great leadership. 
We know that Timothy spent time here as an elder, pastor in this church. So it was doing wonderful. But when Paul wrote this church, he was under house arrest. He was under house arrest, and it was uh, probably as arrests go, um, or being detained goes, it was probably uh, Paul's best circumstance. Because basically he rented a house uh, in Rome. He was awaiting trial, and uh, he could have visitors. They could come and go. He had a guard there with him, but he could, he could see people, he could encourage people, he could teach people. In fact, when he got there in Rome, after their traveling, uh, a bunch of Jews who were in Rome came to him to learn from him. And the other benefit that Paul had was that he got to send letters out. And so it was during this time that Paul sent this letter uh, to the church in Ephesus. And what's, what's really neat about this letter is that it, it's, it's not directed only to the church in Ephesus, but it's also directed to the other churches around, as many of these letters were, so that they could circulate them throughout the area so that others could learn. And I know here in verse 1, it says to the saints who are in Ephesus, a lot of the early manuscripts, earlier manuscripts, do not have that. It's the later ones who have that. So a lot of people believe, or theologians believe, that this letter was circulated through the church, may have been uh, written to Ephesus, started there, and then spread out throughout so everybody could read it and be encouraged by it. But at the time of Paul's writing, it seems that this church was very healthy. Look at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's how he starts off his letter. He explains and describes this body of believers as being faithful. I think that's really important to see, for us to see, that they are faithful not only to, um, to him, but also the calling to share the gospel and to live by it. Also, as I told you before, Paul doesn't have to correct any sin within the letter, and he only focuses on the mysteries of the church and encouraging the, bodies here, the body here. And the opening of this letter is both profound and encouraging then and now. Look at verse 3. He starts off by speaking about the blessings that we receive in Christ. And I want to make sure that you understand that, that all these things are in Christ. And, and, and it's easily picked up as you are reading that passage because Paul, he, he says it over and over and over again, in Christ, in Christ, in him, in the beloved. He continues, every time he lists a blessing, it, it, he wants us to know that we have received that blessing in Christ. It's, it's like Jesus said in John chapter 15, apart from me, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you are separated from me, you can do nothing. Right. And so Paul is regurgitating this here. He's this teaching. He's he's saying in Christ, in Christ, you receive all these blessings. If you are not in Christ, then these blessings are not for you. It's it's that simple. In an all inclusive world, that's a hard message. Right. Because everybody wants a piece of the pie and they just want it for free. They want to be able to get all the benefits that everybody else does, but this benefit is only for the church. Why? Because we are in Christ. So, so yes, thank you, Lord, as we read these things and we, we see that we are in Christ, but more importantly, as we see how we are in Christ, the more thankful we're going to get. So verse 3 
he starts off and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, one thing that we have to notice right off the bat is that all blessings, they are, yes, in Christ, but they come from the Father. Right? They come from the Father. The Trinity works in a specific way because that's the way it has always worked. And we see here that all things come from the Father and they are through Christ. So Paul begins his letter by stating that all blessings, seen and unseen, physical and spiritual, earthly and spiritual, however you want to put it, all blessings that we receive, they come to us by the Father. Now notice that the Father has blessed us in Christ with all spiritual blessings. See, sometimes we think we lack. Sometimes we think we don't have enough or we don't have what it takes. Or we just think we lack in some way. Well, if we lack, it's because of us. The Father has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's what Peter said later. We have what we need in God. It's our, our hearts that go astray when we go look for what we need from another source. Because we think we don't have what we need already. Well, in Christ... We have everything we need. We lack nothing. That's what Paul is saying. It's, it's amazing. And yet we forget that's the first thing that we forget whenever we are going through trouble. Whenever we, are, whenever we don't have enough or whatever it is we think we need. We forget that in Christ we have all that we need. And specifically here though, Paul is talking about salvation. From a salvific standpoint, he is saying we lack nothing at all. In Christ, we lack nothing. Why? Because Christ has paid the full penalty of our sin. He did not not forget something. He did not fall just short. Have you ever fallen just short of something and how frustrating that is? Like you were just this close and you just did not make it. Well, Christ, that didn't happen with Christ. He died once and for all that our sins may be forgiven. So in Christ, we lack nothing when it comes to salvation. If we were to look at the law and stand before the law and try to check it off like we do a lot of different things, there would not be one check on there. That would drive us crazy for those who like to go through checklists and check things off. Like, I've done this, I've done this. Just this morning, I had to go to the grocery store, and I, my wife gave me a checklist to go by. I need a checklist, because if I don't, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get distracted and start buying other stuff. But as I bought this stuff, it was like, check and check. As I look at the law and try to abide by the law, I, I can't check anything off because I am full of sin. But as Christ lived and as he died, he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. And since we have placed our faith in him, his righteousness has been poured on us. It has been poured on us and our sins have been forgiven because Christ suffered 
the wrath of God. That's why Paul is saying, you have enough with Christ. There is nothing for you to add to it. That's amazing, right? Because uh, there, are, there are other religions that teach, no, it's, it's, it's God saving you, but you have, to, you have to help him, or you have to add to it, or you have to do this, or you have to do that. No, listen, you live righteous lives because God has changed your hearts. You don't live a righteous life to add to what Christ has already done for you. He doesn't need that. He has he lived a life of perfection. He doesn't need our help to save us. He's already done that. And Paul is saying in Christ, you have received every spiritual blessing. You are saved. If your faith is in him, you are saved and nothing can change that. That is uh, that's that's awesome. What has been done cannot be undone. That's why Christ on the cross, when he was when he was dying, right before he died, what did he say? He said, it is finished. It is finished. There's nothing left for you to do. And so what Christ has done cannot be undone because it was accomplished, as Paul says here, in heavenly places where Jesus is king, where it matters. It was accomplished. It was accomplished from the throne of God. Um, Peter writes about this, and, and I wanted to share this with you. Um, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage about the effectiveness of, of what Christ did on the cross. First uh, Peter chapter one, verses 18 and 19. This is what he writes. This is what Peter writes. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You see, what can be done cannot be undone. What Christ has done, nobody can change that. And that should give us confidence in our relationship with him, that we shall never be broken apart from him. It's a lifetime guarantee. Once we are in him, it's a lifetime guarantee. I I speak of lifetime guarantees or warranties. Remember uh, Craftsman, when Craftsman was at Sears and they had that deal, Bob Vila would come on all the time on the commercials. Remember that? And, and he would, you know, my, my father, my father-in-law, all, all the men in my family, they bought Craftsman tools, right? Because they were, they were good tools, but that wasn't the kicker. The kicker was the lifetime guarantee or warranty, right? Everybody wanted a Craftsman tool because you could just go back. If you broke it, you just go back to Sears, you go back to Sears, you take it in there, there's no questions asked. You replace the tool that you bought. Or if they didn't have that tool anymore, you get, a, you, you, you get a, uh, your money back so you can buy something else or trade in with something else. But you know what's so funny? Is that buying Craftsman at Sears, you always thought Sears was going to be there. And what happened to Sears? It's gone. It's an empty building. If it weren't for Craftsman going to Lowe's, and by the way, Lowe's sells Craftsman. And I think they still have the lifetime warranty, right? I don't know. But that warranty is only going to be good as long as that store is open. Right? That's the silver and gold that, 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 Paul, that Peter is referencing here. Something that passes away, something that is fleeting. 
That did not buy our salvation. Our lifetime warranty or guarantee uh, that in our salvation doesn't lie in silver and gold. It lies in the precious blood of Christ. And that, that is truly an eternal guarantee. It cannot be wiped away. So if your faith is in Christ, there is nothing you can do to wipe away what God in Christ has done for you. That's why we can live in confidence. You know, some people will say that that doctrine or that belief, that it's, it's, heresy, it's heresy. They will say that, that that is not true. You can lose your salvation if you don't live according to the law or if you don't live a righteous life. Well, we have to define righteous, don't we? Righteous in the Bible, when it comes to the law of God, it means perfect. We've already messed up. We've already messed up. So that's why our salvation cannot be based on what we've done. Or what we do. It's based on the saving work of Christ. I told you this is a heavy breakfast, right? I have to, uh, you know, be able to explain it to you, but, but this, is, this is good eating. This is good spiritual eating. This is a great start. It's a great start because even though we might look at some of these things and say, well, man, we learned that a while ago. We forget it every day. And I, I know we forget it every day by the way we act and react to things. Whenever we sin, we, we forget it. Whenever we're struggling with a stronghold, something that we describe as a stronghold, a sin that won't go away and we continue to deal with it, we, we forget it. We forget that it's the saving work of Christ that, that saved us and it's the same saving work of Christ that changes us. We forget those things and that's why we need to be reminded. You see, the gospel is not only for those who are lost, it's for those who are saved too. We have to be reminded because we so easily forget. So what's important here is that no power can undo what God has done. And that's why Paul so confidently says in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is one of my favorite passages of all time and I come back here so often uh, Romans 8, verses 37 through 39, Paul, Paul says this, and with such confidence, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is, that is beautiful. Do you have that assurance? Is your assurance based on your works or the works of Christ? If it's based on your works, you're going to doubt your salvation every day. If it's based on the work of Christ, you can read this passage and you can understand it and accept it and say, praise God, hallelujah, for the work that he did for me. That is extremely important. But Paul goes on, not only does he talk about this wonderful blessing that we have in Christ, he goes even further and he explains how we have this blessing. 
And for many of you, it may be a surprise for, you know, how we get here. Paul answers the question, how God the Father has saved us and why that is such a spiritual blessing. Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he says in verse 4. See, verse 4 says that he saved us by choosing us. By choosing us. See, that's an act of God. Without God acting, we have no salvation. Without God moving, we have no salvation. The Bible depicts us as dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to save ourselves. For what man has ever, ever saved himself while he is dead? It requires for God to move. It requires for God to do the work. And Paul says that we have this blessing in Christ because God chose us. And he chose us to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, when I think about that, I automatically think of the question, why? Why would God choose me? When the word chose is used here, it means to select for one's own reason or purpose. And it's used in a sense where not only is it, does it mean to choose for one's own reason or purpose, but, but you are chosen from a number of alternatives. That means... There are other people included. It wasn't just you. There, you, are, you are with a group of people, so to speak. As, to give you an example of what this passage is saying, you're with this group of people and God chose you to be saved. When you think about his choosing, again, you think, why me? Well, that question is answered Right here. Because he chose you. He chose you for his glory. He chose you out of his purpose. And he chose you before the foundation of the world. That's what Paul goes on to say here in Ephesians 3 through uh, chapter 1, 3 through 6. So if he chose you before the foundation of the world, that, see, that phrase is important because it means that God chose you without being influenced to do so. Without being influenced by any outside source. He didn't take counsel from an angel or your guardian angel or any angel to save you. He didn't, what Paul is saying here is that he, he didn't wait for you to see what kind of potential you had. We're always, we're always looking at potential, right? 
Even when we look at our own kids, we want to, we want to look at potential. That, that is an earthly thing. We have to, we're trying to gauge what our kids can become. What are, if we're discipling somebody, what they can become. But only God truly knows what they will become. But, but we look for potential. You see, God does not have to look for potential. We look for potential because we cannot see the end. God knows the beginning and the end. Why? Because he has determined it. That's why. And so when God, when Paul, excuse me, says here that, that, that God chose us, it means that he chose us without being influenced by us. There are many who believe, well, God chose me because he saw the potential in me. Or God chose me because he saw down the line that I would eventually accept Christ in my heart. That's why God chose me. So it makes God being, it's a, it's a passive God. But Paul says nothing of the sort. Paul says he chose us for his own purpose and to the praise of his glorious grace. So that makes God sovereign over you. But guess what else it does? I bet it changes your perspective about being saved. I know it did for me whenever I realized that God chose me and it wasn't based on anything good that I had done. I was floored. I was like, I, there, there's nothing to stand on as far as my salvation except the works of Christ. And, and, and that it made it even more glorious, more special. That God would choose a wretch like me. These are things that we have to remember because it's in these things that we bring honor and glory to God. It's in these things that we worship him because he is an awesome God and he has done a wonderful thing for us in choosing us. Titus chapter 3. I want to read that for you as I'm speaking about God choosing us without influence. Titus chapter 3, listen to this out of verses 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, verse 5, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, I'm referencing outside letters. I, I, I could get what I need from Ephesians. But I'm referencing outside letters so that you can see the consistency of how the Bible speaks to God saving us. We've heard from Paul. We've heard from Peter. We've heard from Paul in, in a couple of different situations. And it's consistent. It's the same. God is sovereign and he has chosen you. You have not helped God in your salvation. If you have helped God in your salvation in any way, then yes, it can be taken away from you. 
But if you have not, then it can never be taken away. Because it's based on the perfect, the perfect work that God has done. See, it's good that God did not choose us according to our potential or our good works. Because if that were the case, we would have never been chosen at all. Ever. We, it, would have, it would have taken us back to our childhood. Everyone, has, everyone at one point in time has, always, has, has experienced this. Remember when you were a little kid and you are about to play a neighborhood game? Maybe you were younger than everybody else. You were slower. You were weaker. And you were the one that was not picked. Right? If it was basketball, football, baseball, at some point in your life, you were the one that was not picked because you were horrible. Right? See, some of y'all, it's kind of traumatic and you're thinking back right now. Why were you not picked? Because they thought you couldn't help them to win. They didn't see the potential in you. Maybe later down the road, you became one of the best ones, but at that time, you weren't picked. See, that's a picture of us in front of God. We're horrible. If our salvation was based on him picking us out of potential or good works, we wouldn't be picked. That's why it's called grace. Something given to us that we do not deserve. And Paul goes on about the mystery of, of, of election with two key terms. He talks about that we are predestined and that we are adopted. Specifically, he says predestined and he uses the term adoption. He says that in love, the father predestined us, verse five, for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ. When he uses the word predestined, it means to determine ahead of time before its occurrence. See, the thing is, is that within the church, I would say most people agree on the, the, that, that God has elected us. But then there is a slight variation in, in, in God's election, according to people. Some will say God chose us out of his sovereignty. That's our, that's our stance as a church. That's what's being preached to you. That God chose us out of his sovereignty. Therefore, since God has chosen us, he's done the work for us and our, and our salvation cannot be taken away. And then there is this stance where God knew we were going to be saved. And that's why he chose us. But you see, when you look at the two, there's, it sounds very slight, but there is a drastic difference between the two. Because in the first one, God is sovereign and he does as he chooses, which is very consistent with what I've been showing you. And then on the other hand, God is waiting on you to be able to act. He's helpless until you do something. When in scripture have you ever seen God helpless? You're not going to see it. When in scripture do you see God waiting on man to do something? Not going to see it. Everything he does, he does it sovereignly. According to his own purpose. And he makes it known to us. 
He is God. He is not like us. His ways are above our ways. Heaven is his home. The earth is his footstool. He makes it known, I am above you. I am the creator. You are the creature. I, as the creator, don't wait on you. You see, but I I know it's very hard for us because we're very self-centered. Humans, we're very self-centered. We think, well, God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do something that I don't want him to do. Come on. God does as he wills. I don't know about you, but God has never come down and asked me for permission for him to do anything in my life. I'm grateful. I'm grateful because that meant if if he were to come down and have to ask me about my life, that would mean he's not God. He is completely sovereign in all that he does, even in saving us. So God's predestination points back to the fact that God chose us before the foundation of the world. Again, I want to remind you of that because that means that he chose us outside of any influence on him. Now, the other key term is adoption. Paul says that God has adopted us in his son. You may wonder, what does it mean to be adopted by God? I thought all people were his children. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. First Peter chapter 2. I can read your minds. I know you were asking that question. And we're going to turn to First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I love this consistency. And, and this, these, are, these are two drastically different guys uh, agreeing on something uh, and perfectly agreeing on something. You know, I'm not trying to make a comparison like we're like them, but this would be like me and Pastor Laramie writing something, not knowing what we were writing, and it come out exactly the same. Every, when we communicate, we have, to, we have to be careful because we're so different. And sometimes we say the same thing, but we're saying it in different ways. Amen, brother? Amen. It's hard for us to text sometimes when we're speaking about something that's very important because we'll go around and around and around and around and we think we're arguing with each other. Yes, your pastors argue sometimes, yeah. We think we're, we're, we're arguing with each other and we're really not. We're saying the same thing, but we're saying it different ways. That, that's the drastic difference between Paul and Peter, right? And, and so Peter says this about uh, adoption and, and about election and and about God's uh, providence in saving us. Uh, let me see. First Peter 2, 9 and 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at verse 10. Once you were not a people... You catch that when I talk about what what does it mean to be adopted by God? Peter says, at one time you were not a people. Why not? Well, because the Bible says that we were enemies of God. We We were his children in the fact that he created us, but spiritually speaking, we were enemies of God. So Peter says here, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you were not, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What changed? Christ, right? Our, our faith in Christ. So that's what it means to be adopted by God, to be grafted in, that we come to faith in Christ, then we are adopted by God. See, the term adoption further emphasizes God's sovereign right to choose people for himself. I don't know if any adoption agency that, 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 that has a rule that when you come in to adopt somebody, they get to choose a kid that they want you to adopt. And you have no right over it. You just walk in and they're like, you're going to take that kid. Oh, but I want that one. No, 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 you're taking that one. See, when God adopts us, he does it according to his own purpose. See, the purpose of God choosing us is to the praise of his glorious grace. So we go back to this question, why did God choose me? Pastor, if you're saying that I have nothing to offer God, if, if, if my best works, spiritual works are filthy rags, if I have no potential and he chose me out of, outside of any influence on him, why did God choose me? Here's the answer. Because he's working out his purpose and because he is truly, truly, truly gracious. That's the answer. You're, you're part of the purpose that he is working out. And he did it because of his grace. He did it out of his grace. See, election is the method upon which God uses to build his church. By choosing you, God is building his church. Here's another passage, just to support what I just said. First Peter 2, listen to this out of verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing in his process, his method of election. He's building his church. So imagine each one of us, a living stone. And the only reason why we are a living stone is because we are in Christ. Remember what Jesus says, no one can come to the Father except through me. But then he says, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you in. Both, they work together. And we have to remember that. But as God is choosing those who are his, he is building us into a spiritual house. Now let me ask you this, what builder does not have the right to build the way he wants. Uh, three years ago, it's been three years since we, uh, well, actually four years since we started construction on our house. 
And that was one of the most exciting things to go through, but it was also kind of, um, it was, it was nerve wracking. Just being, just, just having to pick out everything to, to, to have this house built. But during every process, those who were building the house came to us as the owners of the house and we went through exactly what we wanted, how we wanted the house. If, if money was not an option, we could have chosen anything we wanted. But money was definitely an option. But if it wasn't, if it wasn't an issue, if it was just limit, limitless supply of money, we could have done anything we wanted, we could have told them how to do it, and they would have done it the way we wanted it. God is limitless in his power, in his might, in his strength, in his knowledge, in his glory, in his sovereignty. That's what it means to be sovereign, right? What builder does not have the right to build the way he wants to? It's God's right to choose his living stones for himself. So here it is, and we're almost done here. What about the injustice done to those who aren't chosen? That's where this, usually when the topic of election always um, is discussed, that's, that's where it heads. What about those who are not chosen? Listen, injustice is the wrong term to use. Because God is, he, he does not practice injustice against anybody. See, a perfect being cannot practice injustice against a non-perfect being. Right? Because a perfect being is never going to be held, uh, he, he's, he's never, he's never going to be held responsible or guilty, guilty is the word I'm thinking of, guilty of doing injustice to somebody else. Because injustice is a sin. So the term injustice, what about the injustice done to those who aren't chosen? Well, Romans chapter 9 points out that all deserve death. Right? Listen, we haven't, there, there's, there, we're going through Sunday school right now. We're going through the book of Romans. If you haven't come, I really encourage you to be here every Sunday for Sunday school. That is an important letter for us to go through as a church. I really encourage you to be here. We're going chapter by chapter. Paul, in the book of Romans, is laying out biblical theology. He's laying out his theology. It's wonderful. And it explains a lot of questions that you have. And we have some wonderful teachers that rotate to, to bring the word to us so that we can learn I would encourage you to come because you really need to hear this stuff. But in Romans chapter 9, it points out that all deserve death. So if God doesn't choose, there is no injustice. There is only grace on those whom he chooses. That's it. There is no injustice. There is only grace. Now, let me ask you again, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel knowing that you are in Christ today? God chose you. And you're worthless. And I mean that in love. 
You are worthless. You are a sinner. You are the chief of sinners. And God chose you. Sometimes as Christians, we, we struggle. We struggle to have, what's the word I'm searching for? Maybe charisma? It's probably a better word. Emotion? Gratitude? I think gratitude is a good word. We walk around and we, 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 we say that we are Christians, but we don't realize the blessing it is to be who we are. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's what Paul says. See, by the grace of God, you are what you are. You deserve none of it. And yet... God has blessed you. That is such a mystery. See, that's what I mean about our finite minds. We, 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 can't, we can't go there. All we know is that we are saved because of his grace, but we can continue on with that over and over and over. Sometimes we come to church, or sometimes we don't even come to church because we're like, I don't feel like praising God today. I got all this stuff going on. I don't feel like being around his people. Who cares how you feel? As if how you feel should keep you from praising him. Sometimes we're too busy. I got a really busy schedule. I've been working all week. I want to rest today. Go rest in the Lord. Because if it weren't for him, you wouldn't have the job that you have. I mean, we make up all kinds of excuses. Sometimes we get here and we just go through the motions. We get here and we stand here and we're like, oh, no, we're singing that song again. I don't like that song. I just wish they would stop singing that song. Just over and over and over again. Why can't we sing something different? Or, oh, man. He's sitting by me or she's sitting by me and all oh, people just want to know how I am. People are so nosy in church. Right. All these things, all these things. Instead of focusing on the one whom all blessings come from. I, I said this plenty of times before, but I, I really mean it when I say it. We need to remember that we need to be thankful we need to be thankful that we get to serve him. I see a lot of heads moving up and down, but guess what? We need a lot of help that we don't get. Why? For the reasons that I've said. Too busy. Don't feel like it. I have other more, more important things to do. 
God chose you when you were worthless. You get to serve him. For me, when I figured that out, different perspective. And, and I'm here to tell you, I struggle with the same things that you do. There are some Sundays where I don't want to be here, but somebody has to preach. All right. Hey, if I'm being honest, there are some Sundays like that. I don't want to be here, but somebody has to preach. If I'm not here to preach, I don't know. Y'all might fire me. That, that was meant to be a joke. Yeah, Everybody's like, yeah, we will fire you. See, we're not, we're not above y'all in any way. You need to know that what I'm saying to you, I struggle with too. These are things that we fight against. Why? Because, again, we're selfish. But let me help you get some perspective. God chose you. For me, that gives me perspective every time. 